Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and I'm joined again this week by Jackie and Matt, and we're talking about a few things. We're picking up our Spider-Man discussion because we got the news that Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange will be appearing in the next Spider-Man film. We also watched a truly terrible film called The Lie, and I'll give you a quick synopsis. It's a father and daughter are on their way to dance camp when they spot the girl's best friend on the side of the road. When they stop to offer the friend a ride, their good intentions soon result in terrible consequences. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right now. I'm going to tell you the plot twist in the film because it's truly terrible and we don't want you to watch it. We want you to save that time from your life. And so if you're interested in watching it, fast forward for a few minutes and then skip the middle section of the episode. But Joey King plays the main character and her father is Peter Sarsgaard. Her mother is Morel Enos and they are separated. And Joey King sees her friend. She's the She and Peter Sarsgaard are the father-daughter. She claims to kill her friend out of some sort of you know tiff between friends etc etc and her parents decide that the best course of action is to lie to cover it up and at the very end of the film again spoiler alerts plot twist it turns out that the friend that she supposedly had killed was literally just going to see her boyfriend and that joey king's character was covering for her and that this was some sort of elaborate ruse in order to create an excuse for some sort of tomfoolery because for some reason joey king's character's parents believe her they keep trying to cover for her and at one point then they end up killing the father of the friend and so now they are actually murderers again the plot is paper thin. It is not very good, but figured some context for this film would be helpful. And then the other thing we watched this week was Deaf You, which is a series on Netflix, which is thankfully much, much better than The Lie. All right, so this news broke right after we recorded last time, but we're picking it up from there. Speaking of Spider-Man, speaking of our favorite web-slinging hero, and then our favorite keeper of time. What is he? What is technically Doctor Strange? Is he the keeper of time? I don't know what he actually is. He's like a sorcerer. Oh, Sorcerer Supreme. Yes. My bad. That's his name. He protects the Earth. Yes, he is joining, he's joining Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man film. I think that this confirms that they are going to be doing a multiverse Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. You know, like, I think that confirms it, if nothing else. Which, I got to tell you, as much as, I haven't been a huge fan of, I think I mentioned last time, the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man films, but I am a huge fan, problems with it, but I am a huge fan of, the Doctor Strange movie and I like and I do like uh his portrayal of Doctor Strange and I do I think his involvement with it will make me like the film better maybe. Interesting because <laughs> like, I like I love Benedict Cumberbatch I liked the Doctor Strange movie when I saw it but the more distance I have from it the more forgettable and the more eh. yeah but but the, I think I like him as a character and I liked him in the Avengers a lot. Sure yeah no he and he really does kill the role and I um watch that movie I don't know I think yeah, I rewatch it a lot more. It's, really? it's one of my top five Marvel films. I rewatch it. Very strange. It's, it's one of the Marvel films I watch more often. And I, I really enjoy. I it. can't really explain it because I couldn't. I I mean, I really enjoy it, but I I don't know why it has more play than some of the other ones. For me, as someone who we you know we went over this too, that like I not super super into action films and action for action's sake. That is one of the rare films where. Almost every action sequence I look forward to, and I think it's because they were so, to me, they were so something I hadn't really seen before. It almost like, I'm not gonna say it's like The Matrix, but it just was kind of like how the action sequences in The Matrix got me really excited because it was different than what we were seeing a lot of in American cinema. So it's something where the sequence when like they are running through New York and like it's bending everywhere. And I know it's kind of, you could say it's kind of Inceptionist as well. That kind of stuff was so cool. And then the out of body fighting when Rachel McAdams was trying to like resuscitate him on the table. I thought that was such a cool, 
cool sequence. I also just love her. So I think, and I, I love Tilda. So it, I think. The, problem, I think it, and the whitewashing with Tilda is yeah, a Yeah, Tilda was a problem for me. No, it, I love Tilda. Is, the character I love her so much. Really that was the thing. I love her so much that I loved her take on the character. But I also was like, but this is a problem. So it was like that kind of like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I just, I love the movie. I don't know, it flows Okay, so important question for me, because I don't think we've talked about this, but you both keep surprising me with your rewatches. And so <laughs> I would, what are your top, and I'm not even going to say favorite, but your top five, the top five Marvel films that you watch the most? Winter Soldier is my number one. Yeah, uh, I, I watch that all the time. I like it because it's like a buddy film in some ways, because there's a lot of Black Widow in it, and I love her, and I love their friendship, so that's... Well, I remember, Jackie, like, that, that took you, like, a rewatch to get super into it, and and you didn't dislike it, I don't think, but it, but I remember we watched it, and and then, yeah, I think it was right before Civil War or something like that. We watched it together because we came down for it, and yeah, and then it became a, a top for you, and I'm, I love that. Because I, I agree, it's like, I love that it, I thought that the Russo's treatment of Black Widow was so strong and I, I really appreciate what they've done with her character, even though I have problems with some Endgame things. Not the fact that she died, but I just- Wow, spoiler. About, oh yeah, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but things about- <laughs> oh, wait, that's that's that. I know, you're listening to this and it's been this long, I, I give you credit yeah. for. Right, right. Okay, okay, so Civil War, or I'm sorry, uh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. I love the original Thor a lot. I love the original I Thor. Laugh so hard in that movie. I think Chris Hemsworth does such a good job. I love the Loki plot. I Queen I'm, Natalie. I'm very fond of the first Thor, so I watched I that. agree. And I Thor, I, my initial like coming out of that was I think what some people why why some people thought it wasn't as strong of a film is also why I loved it, which was that it was just as much the villain's story as much as it was the hero's story in it. And that Loki got just as much weight, if almost if not more weight to his backstory. And it's like, when you look at it and now even looking back, it has even more power when you just look at what they were setting up with Loki and him being the big bad in, you know, potentially the biggest superhero movie that, you know, like at least of its time, it's like we needed to care as much as we did about him to, to then go into something like Avengers and actually care about what he's doing. You know what I mean? Whereas not to rag on DC, but you look at Justice League, for example, which I know it can't hold a candle to Avengers, but it's something that with the villain, you know, it's like, who cares about the villain in that movie? Because it's just another villain, but like- well, Loki, I, I think other Marvel movies are actually more guilty of this. I think Ju Justice League is a good example of just, I call them the disposable CG bad guys because mm -hmm. they're just disposable CG bad guys. But I think I think Loki's the most successful vil villain is in quotes of all of the Marvel films for sure. So I'm, I'm yeah. with you on that. All right, you've got three yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that as well. No, um, I, I watch Black Panther a decent amount, which I think- ever. I was biased because I remember the excitement of Black Widow being in it and then the Thor hammer at the very end after the credits and that was how we learned Thor was happening but I have a special place for Iron Man too. I'm not gonna say it's a top five. I know people hate that movie but I was like jazzed in that movie just because of what they were building and what I, and you know. In that hallway sequence with her? Uh, yeah, I just, I love it so much and because if you remember back at that in the time, it's like, what was this, 2010? 2010. 2010. We waited until we got to the ending of the ending of the credits and you see the Thor hammer with Agent Coulson, who was nobody at the time. And you see the Thor hammer for the first time. And that was like, at least for me, that was how I learned they were doing a Thor movie. Because we were kind of learning them 
like that. Like that's how they would let you know. And so that back when those teases used to actually be actually, mean, you know, mean like, something. Like, yeah, something it was actually than kind of teasing what we already know is coming. And I just came out of that movie so jazzed. And I, you know, as for a forever Black Widow fan, it was just hearing that she was going to be in it. And it's like, and then of course the casting were potentially going to be Emily Blunt, but she couldn't get out of commitment with, I forget what it was, but then it got, became Scarlet, but just like following all that. And like, it was so jazzed for it. And she didn't disappoint for me in the film. And then, you know, so I really like it. I wouldn't say it's like a top five, but I, I, but I do rewatch it more frequently than I'm sure most people do. <laughs> Um, I do not love Iron Man 3, however. But this is, it's hard because I will say that like Avengers, the original, I think is a really great movie. It got very ruined for me because of some friends that overdid things. And I have a tendency that if you force me to like something too much, I will go back and- Maybe, yeah. We've and, talked about it, the, con the contrarian know, kind of just, I, you can't make me like this. Do not try. I, yeah. I have to come to this. I really liked it. So this is like a very hard thing because I'm coming back around to it. So we're, I'm finally getting in a place where I'm like not as contrary about it. But I had some people who were just very intense about it for a really long time and it sort of ruined it for me. But I think that movie is very, very well done. Obviously, it really is. is problematic at this point, but I think that the movie itself was very, very successful in what it was supposed yeah. to do. And, you know, Jackie and my sister and I often, I mean, we've talked about this even this year, probably that that was still one of our absolute favorite movie theater experiences ever. Of all time. It was that just, midnight it was movie just was the most so midnight fun. show. It was so there fun. There were people like standing up and cheering when yeah, Loki was, was like, oh, when the well, whole like, Loki And the funny movie. stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, just the, all the comedy and all the way they played off each other. And we had seen, when can you think of with what Marvel has done? Obviously we could have talked for years about the whole, what they did with all these films, but it, when can you think of the anticipation for essentially what is a sequel film, right? At this point, but what is the what? Fifth film in the franchise? And like, you're that excited. If you think about that, you have all these other kind of, if you a prequel setup films just to make this film with these characters that they want more films than that before, like, America, and like Iron Man. When have you been able to have a team up film like that where you knew all the characters so well? Yeah, to, to Jackie's point, there are actually technically uh, five movies before. I was gonna say, yeah. Uh, because Hulk if we count the 20, 2008 Hulk. Yep, and I forgot about that. But it's like, when you look at it and it's, it's just, we had that much backstory with all these people that we cared that much about them in this team up. And we hadn't had a team up like that in a movie that was a comic book. And it was so well done. Like it actually fulfilled everything we wanted it to be at the time. Yeah, so that's a great one. And big group films go. I know some are Captain America movies, some are Avengers movies. The one I watch the most is Infinity War. So, so we, wait, we have Winter Soldier, Doctor Strange, Iron Man 2 for Matt. <laughs> Making your face at this. Yeah. Cool. Jackie, are you putting Iron Man 2 on yours or are you going to swap it a different one? No. Oh, Black, Pan Black, Black, Black Panther for Jackie. Yeah. Mine, yeah. yeah, and then the Avengers for both of you. Thor for Jackie. Any other surprises? I, I okay, watched Thor, okay, okay. And Infinity War. I don't know where it fits. I, I probably did more than five, but I just, yeah, it's... Infinity War. are the ones that I watch the most. I don't. Okay, you know. so yeah, but that's my question because, like, the biggest surprise to me on that list is honestly Doctor Strange. Yeah. I I have not seen that since it came out in theaters. Oh, maybe it warrants a rewatch. It quite possibly. <laughs> I just uh, you know I have not felt the like compulsion to rewatch it. And there are some that I, I think there are many actually that I haven't rewatched since they came out, or maybe watched them once when they came out on TV, and I was like, cool. I'm all right. Yeah, no, I, I have those. I mean, Guardians is is there for me, unfortunately. But see, Guardians for me is one I will rewatch happily. I have a really, really difficult relationship with Guardians, and it, and part of it is it's it's a lot of me. <laughs> That's the problem <laughs> with it, uh, of course. But 
with those comics, loving certain things about them and then them kind of going and making it into full comedy. It's not that I'm against that, but certain things I thought still could have been done better. And my biggest issue with it is actually the treatment of Drax the Destroyer as a character. I, I can't stand it. Oh, I, I think Drax. having no expectations on my side is why I'm totally, like, yeah. I no, love Drax. And I get why it works. And I think it is a good film. Like, I don't think it's a bad film at all. I, I would argue, I don't think the second one is very, very good. I don't like that movie very much. But but the first one, I will say, I do think is a good film. And I, I enjoyed my time watching with the exception of the things that were upsetting me. And I, I think more about those things than I do about the things that I liked, I guess. Thor 2, Iron Man 3, and Guardians 2 are movies that I feel totally fine never watching again. God, I hate Iron Man 3. Iron Man, Iron, honestly, I maybe I, I, I should give Iron Man 2 a chance, but Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, definitely not. Don't yeah, have any. Thor 2, I think, is my least favorite Marvel film, for sure, of the MCU. Yeah, I think Thor Ragnarok is my favorite film. Of the I forgot movie. that. I actually watched a <gasps> that's lot. My, that's the one I rewatch more than anything. I've watched Thor Ragnarok a ton. I love that movie. I watch it all the time. Yes, I think it is a perfect, just a, such a perfect, not film, but just like such a perfect Thor film. I think he finally yeah. found such a great stride. Yeah. I love Taika. I will say what's funny that when you look at something like Guardians versus Ragnarok, which both are kind of, you could say a very similar genre here. If Thor Ragnarok was the first Thor film, I wouldn't have liked it because I'm like, that's not Thor, but that's what movie Thor has become. But movie Thor started out very, very comic Thor for me in a lot of different ways. And then he's, he's loosened up and become actually kind of like funny versus like we're laughing at him because he's so out of touch. Now it's like we're laughing at him because he's making jokes and stuff too. And I like, I'm fine with that journey in the, in the movies, but if it had come out and that was the first exposure we had to Thor, I would have been angry that they messed up Thor. Yeah, that, I think that's fair. I think, I think it actually just speaks to the amount of character progression that he's yeah. gotten, not through just his own movies, but the other films. Yeah, and I'm here for it. I think, it's, I think he's hilarious. So I, I like what, he, what he's become. That Thor is, I think, one of the greatest things to happen to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Still like devastated. I wasn't at Comic-Con when they announced Jane Thor. Oh, that was very good. It was. I. I mean, as someone who is pretty obsessed with those comics, and yes. Degree, I am really devastated because Marvel hadn't announced anything I really truly cared about in years, and I got a new. You know, I lost my job, so I decided, oh well, I'll be smart and save the money for Comic Con, and then well, that's what happens. That's what happens. Yeah. Overall, that year, that was probably a good choice. And and in fairness, I mean, we all there's a horror story. I realized not nobody listening to this would have heard it, but you know, the year I skipped Loki in Hall H, the big Avengers announcement. And I, you know, I think it was it was Hobbit year, right? It was yeah, and it was unfortunately Thor: The Dark World, but the presentation was everything. Yeah, the presentation was so spectacular, apparently. But I had just we had been in line for days on end, and I had had I'd hit my limit, and I was like, I can't, I don't. I can't stay for this pain. even though we were already in Hall H like we had seats in Hall H and we could have stayed there all day I was like goodbye <laughs> and, then, and then I get these you know all my every notification pops off like oh my god I can't believe he's in the hall he's doing it anyway so we all have our moments we have our FOMO moments but and in your defense I mean you we we weren't like juiced for that year either until he came out it was like oh, we were there but it was like you know, you knew they were going to talk about a Captain America sequel that you didn't care about. And we didn't right. care about until I saw the footage. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And then it ends up being my favorite Marvel movie. Weird. But none of us were huge fans of the first Captain America. And then it's like the Thor sequel, which I was excited about, Jackie, I think, too. And were you, uh, I, I was excited you, you, at the time. I was going to say you love yeah. Thor. 
you know, it wasn't like a thing where, I don't know, it felt like it was kind of just like a, a year of filler movies, you know what I mean, in a way in between yeah. these. So it's like, I get the kind of, if you're, you know, we've all been there, so. It was also, it set the precedent for pulling a stunt in Hall H and they hadn't done that before in the years that we'd been there prior. And so no. me being like, no, it's fine, I can just walk away. Or for people who don't know what we're talking about, Tom Hiddleston came on stage in full Loki costume and did his monologue from Avengers, but he changed, substitute some of the words to sort of fill in for us having slept on the sidewalks and things. And so he was sort of berating us. And the lights, well, for, and the lights went black for, at first, it was like technical difficulties. And then the dark elves were walking around the audience and stuff. And it was- It was so cool. It was just, it was a very big- No, that's fine. Rub, rub it in, rub it in. That's <laughs> <laughs> a sensory overload for people who just hadn't slept in days. And it was just, you know- well, was, we, like, had, uh, we were all together. We're all fan people. It, so the, the, the level of excitement for this was- It was the- like we legitimately yeah. lost our minds yeah. with how excited we were. For my Comic-Con, like tops, like for things like that, I was there when all the Avengers got announced, right? We knew that they were talking about Avengers, but when they were announcing who the cast was, Mark Ruffalo, no one knew he was going to be the Hulk and they came out on stage and everything. And I was there when the Watchmen cast got all got brought out on stage and nobody knew that was going to happen and things like that. But nothing to Dana's point, at least that I had seen to this point either, was such a stunt. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was such a spectacle. Oh, someone put me out in character. Jackie, were you and I there the year they announced the Avengers? Did I just block this from my memory? No. Okay. Was... They, they must have done it before. He, used to, he had a life before he met me, which is crazy. Yeah. I don't understand. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like, I want to say 2009. Okay, that would have been the year right before I, or two years before I went. I feel like it was earlier than that, though. I think it was earlier than 2009. It, I think it, it was might have been because with... they announced the cast of them before, like, long before they started filming. It was right. like, yeah, because that must have been a like very. We were still in high school, actually. Like, I think it was one of those, but. I don't remember. No, that would have been. I think it was way like, too. It might have been eight or nine, but because Watchmen, I remember very well also when that came out in two thousand nine. But I had started going to Comic Con at like two thousand one, two thousand two. So, so that's why it could have high school stuff too. But, but nothing was like this. Like, it was, yeah, you know, this was this. I mean, it truly set a precedent for a spectacle. I think. Yeah. And then we expected that. Yeah, <laughs> one that I don't think we ever really got again. I disagree. I firmly disagree. I think the year when we went to the Star Wars panel and they were like. Everybody leave. We're going to a concert. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a that was spectacle. It was. I mean, having the whole cast there. I don't think it was necessarily as in character spectacle. Oh, but you're but right. But they had stormtroopers yeah. up there, and it was you know it was very much like. A, and it was right on the water. It was beautiful. I just was disappointed because I wanted footage. Yeah, I wanted more footage, but I but I yeah, it was super cool. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. I figured there was nothing. We were there, there was no way that we were gonna. So I was like, "Cool, a puppet." Which truly for me, I was like, "Oh, cool, a puppet." <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was. It was cool to see him, and it was like you know, because we we're all all. I mean, at that point too, all we wanted in the world. Okay, we hope for good story. We hope for this and that, but we just wanted these things to not look like the prequels. We wanted it to yeah. have practical effects as well, and like puppetry and things like that, because that was so much of the heart and core of like the original Star Wars films. We just please don't film these all in just a blue screen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And make them look flat and just like just totally stale. That was exciting. Yeah, so. and I think I think we were more sleep deprived then than we were. Well, no, I guess we only got in line the day, <laughs> only the day before. <laughs> Twenty four hours in advance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so so back to our our dear friend Doctor Strange. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they seem to feel like Tom Holland can't stand on his own in these films. 
That so we've got true. the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Iron Man mentor figure, and then we've got Doctor Strange coming in, and I'm I'm all for sort of collaboration, cross pollination, etc. But I do think it's odd to not have him star. Yeah, because <laughs> I would say he starred in the last one more, but you still did have a heavy Nick Fury, Nick Fury influence as well, which obviously Nick and stuff like that came in in Iron Man two, also things like that, but. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. They haven't just gone and given us just a like just a Spider-Man film and just let it be a, more of a simple Spider-Man story. Yeah, or or that mm-hmm. you know, Happy Hogan is in all of them technically. That's that's such a huge part of the last one. It's just but not huge. It's really leaning, I feel like, more on these other characters than any other of the sort of films that they put out there. To be yeah. fair, we have gotten Spider-Man, not in Marvel, or at least not MCU, has gotten quite a few movies, so maybe that's what they're... Yeah, I wonder if that's... That's, that's true. That's very... They're kind of like people just don't want just a Spider-Man film because they've already gotten it, so this is their way of making it kind of fresh. But yeah, it is an interesting observation because you watch... I just kind of wonder how many standalone films we're really going to get anymore now that everything's so cross-pollinated everywhere. Well, it all hard too because especially once you brought Shield in on the level you did, and I know again this works in comics, and but comics are just different. But in the films, that was aside from a plethora of things that I just thought were stupid. That was the biggest thing for me. I remember when I was watching it in in Thor: The Dark World, was I was just watching this movie post Avengers and being like, how in the world is this allowed to happen without S.H.I.E.L.D. or anyone catching wind of it? And it's just Thor's problem and all this, whatever. In the comics, again, that happens every day. But in the film universe, it just started feeling like because you're connecting these so much, mm-hmm. it feels kind of this, it felt this kind of thing where I was like, okay, they would be involved at this point. It wouldn't just be, you know, this threat that's going everywhere, you know, and like, it's just Thor's problem. It felt weird. And I, I think it could have been better if it didn't take place on Earth, you know, and that's part of why you can watch them like Guardians. You can watch even Doctor Strange and kind of like the threat is something that he has to actually leave the planet to fight. It's that kind of thing where it's like, okay, cool, let's take this to a place where S.H.I.E.L.D. can't do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at this point to make it work. I'm looking at the upcoming slate and I'm like, who are they going to put in Shang-Chi? Because the the Mandarin is, the, I think, the villain in this one. And we've already, we've dealt, I don't, I really, oh, this is going to be a complicated one for me. But, you know, we had the whole like fake out Mandarin thing. Yeah, we had the Mandarin. We had the Mandarin, but now we have the Mandarin. And is so, Mandarin going to be the villain? Did you, is that a confirmed thing? I believe so, because they cast Tony Leung as the mandarin and that could be you know that could mean whatever it's gonna mean it could be another fake out it could be whatever but then the logical sort of tie-in is the iron man world and obviously iron man is no longer with us in the same form again spoiler alert (laughs) and then uh, i think the other one is eternals right it's just sort of who i I mean that was a captain marvel i feel like tie-in or guardians or somebody somebody in space yeah, I mean, maybe, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I have, after we got through with Endgame, I had this whole kind of thing where I thought maybe the next phase of team up Avengers type of stuff was going to be going into something that I, a, a comic series called the Annihilation Saga, which is dealing with an entirely like cosmic threat. Is that the, that's not the Kree in the- Kree's involved, like everyone, everyone gets involved. Like it's like a thing and it's you have, you know, you've got Eternals are very involved in this kind of stuff. And I kind of thought, oh, we might go in there. And so I don't know, but the villain Annihilus is like a big Marvel staple villain. And so for comics, and so I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And that's, and how, and how do you kind of up the ante if that's what you want to do after you did this big cosmic threat with Thanos, it's like, this would be the next step. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of thought maybe we'd be going in that direction and that Eternals might be the ones setting that up. And if so, I wondered if the team of if Eternals, because they're not exactly like, I don't know, when you read the comics, it's not so much just like the Guardians of the Galaxy, this big team up or their Avengers sling. They are Eternals, kind of like Inhumans. They are Inhumans and they do get together to fight against things and this and that, but it's not always a thing where, oh, that group, that group of, of individuals, they're the Eternals. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. something where they could essentially set it up in a way where these different characters could be branching out and doing different things in different films as well. We, we shall see someday, hopefully in a theater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will. I think they're, they're, they will have to do something because I really, I, if they are doing anything with Eternals that is gonna be setting things up, especially with these with these Marvel, like Disney Plus shows coming out, we've got WandaVision happening next month. They are going to have to, I think they're gonna have to really start releasing these films. They're just gonna have to figure out a way. And maybe that means streaming for them, I don't know. I, I, you know but I do think they're gonna have to if they want to stick to their plan and their schedule somewhat of trying to reveal things in a certain order. Right, in that sort of linear way. Well, we shall see. We're gonna take a quick break and then we are gonna talk about The Lie. We're gonna segue here. We're gonna go with The Lie, which we all watched this week. We did. I really hated it. (laughs) I had a, I just really disliked it a lot. Why did you dislike it a lot? Because I agree with you. Well, first of all, everyone in that movie made terrible choices. Oh yes, spoiler alert. We're gonna, we're gonna go full spoilers on this. Yeah, yeah. I, there was not a single choice made in that movie that I agreed with. So I just kind of felt like, yes, you get what you deserve when you make these kind of choices. That's where I'm at with it. They didn't build up the teenager. Well, I don't even know anyone's name because I didn't care. What was the girl's name? I don't know. I call her Joey King because that's the actress's name. I just refer to them all by perfect. Joey King, you know, who I actually enjoy in some things is, she did fine, I guess, but it was just so like, we didn't care about her. Well, I didn't care about I her, didn't care about her at, all. at all. And then I didn't really care about her parents. And then when you don't care about anyone, it's really, really slow and really, really long. And all they keep doing is making dumber and dumber choices. It's like, yes, this is what happens when you make those choices. I love this movie. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. No, yeah. I was, I was legitimately afraid <laughs> though that you might that. have because I, you know, we don't we're always agree by, on things. And... By new mutants, I get it. <laughs> no, I agree with most of it. I, I will say as a, as an avid horror fan, I, I don't love when a film like this gets marketed as horror. Oh, this was mismarketed for sure. Just not like I, that irritates me because it feels like, I'm not saying I wouldn't have checked it out anyway, but it just makes it seem like you just really decided to try. At least going to come back and haunt them. Yeah. You know? Like something, something, course, you know, the ending was so dumb that you just, that was what really did it. So, so it was the moment I was, I was okay with at least the attempt as we were going along because it didn't feel to me like a real movie. It just didn't feel like that to me. I hate to be like a snob, but it felt very made for TV to me. But I thought that there were certain things about the way this was shot or that was shot. I was trying to find the redeeming qualities. Like, okay, okay, here, I get what you're trying to do here. I thought that the actors for the most part were were giving what they could with this dialogue that just was really tough and the story points that were tough. And I was really trying. It got to the point where I remember Joey King was was like, listen, she could hear the parents just kind of getting along in a weird way. And I was like, oh no, regardless of what the outcome is here and what's what really happened with this, with this other girl, 
do not make this something where these parents get back together, a family coming back together over something horrible, which is precisely what it did. But it just was this thing where that like made me just, oh no, like I really, I said it out loud. And by the time you get to the end, which I know you said spoiler already, so I'm just going to say it. And by the time you get to the end and you find out that it was just a joke and that the girl was really wanting to go visit her boyfriend, what really, really troubles me about it as far as a storytelling point of view the most is why? Like she could have just gone and done it. Why did she have to involve them and say, oh, it'd be funny if you pretended you killed me? What person thinks that's a funny idea? She could have just gone and visited the boyfriend and not planned any of this and just been missing. Well, no, she, she could have picked any other lie, right? She could have, yeah. who jumps to, you know, what'd be funny is if you faked my death. Yeah, but also you didn't have to lie. You didn't have to involve, they didn't, the, the Joey King and the family didn't have to be involved at all in her running away to see her boyfriend. The dad thought she ran away at first anyway. Well, so honestly, she was riding the bus by herself when they picked her up. So right. she was already free of her parents. She could have hopped on the bus and gone to her boyfriend's house and she, we could have not known where she was the whole time. It wouldn't have mattered. They drove for 10 minutes, then pulled over to go pee, quote unquote. So it's a thing where- In a snowstorm. But it's not like she needed the ride to get somewhere to get to the boyfriend. She just literally, she just wanted to just involve this family for some reason. So this is just not strong writing at all. Not only is the script, like the dialogue just really just like, "Mm, this isn't, this doesn't feel professional to me. This is a bad story. And that's at the core. Yeah. Do we think this was the script from the start? Do we think this was the premise from the very beginning? I think I think it was. It, up. it was based on a short story. I think it might have been. I think it was. Like, I really think that that was the intent of this horrible thing. Like Jackie was saying, that did the terrible decisions. It was like, it's hard because sometimes in a film, you know, a lot of films we watch, characters do make terrible decisions. And it's something that's part of what makes the plot excel. And you just, you're like, oh, I don't agree with that. But you could be done in a way where you kind of get why they did it. There were so many things here and it really, 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 really made it the most when the mother decided to just run yeah. over the guy and the, the girl's dad and just be I like, lost like it. I was just like, what is even happening right and then now? Then they went to bed and left the bloody car in their garage all night. And then the next day decided to start cleaning it. It was just this weird, like, and the mom was the character who wouldn't have done that. The dad was the one who, we were trying to set up this whole time as this guy who like wanted to cover up for the daughter. The mom wouldn't. The mom was like, our daughter sucks. <laughs> like she said literally almost that in a text message to him about she's spoiled and blah, blah. She let her get away with everything, blah, blah. So like this, this mother, I don't know. It just was so, and I get, it's supposed to be, oh, you want to protect your child. You want to protect your child. And I know you, I think we talked, you guys did not watch this, but defending Jacob was just in my mind the whole time because that is an example of something kind of similar as far as setup that is just so much more effective. Whereas this is like, no one does these things. Well, it was just silly because of that, she was a lawyer who used to work for the DA, apparently. So she prosecuted people and somehow she was still way dumber than even like a mediocre crook, right? Or, you know, a mediocre world murderer. murderer. It was just, it was so bizarre because when she goes to run him over, it wasn't even like the the tension had gotten to a point where where you're like, oh God, she has to do something. He was just on the side of the road. They were in their car. She could have just, just kept it. driving, you mm-hmm. know, and kept calling him crazy and keep yeah. gaslighting him and still be in the same place. Never mind were. the fact that they were there trying to bury evidence at his house. Like, are you kidding? Like, I, I think if I'm the director, if I'm putting myself in the director's shoes, I think she's being so clever and being like, 
this is showing this woman unraveling. She's, she finally has like broken, you know, cause I think there was like a visual sort of, she got more and more disheveled, whatever. I'm not saying it's done well, but I'm saying, I think that was the intent and I think it was not done. Yeah. It was a failure. It was just from the start in what world, if your teenage daughter came to you and was like, Oh my God, I killed, you know, I killed my friend. Would you be like, we got to cover this up. We, we got to go have this up. Also, if you're, to Jackie's point, if you're a lawyer, you know, you're not going to get tried as an adult, prob- probably. Well, I mean, she could have done stuff, but it was just, the, all the decisions were so strange to me. It just, it, it was wild. And, and I don't want to harp on it, but it just is something where like, I, I, there were so many different little attempts at plot points, similar to what you're saying about, oh, sh- oh, this is, we're going to show her unraveling and this and that things directly taken from defending Jacob, but like things that, and other things like that have been more. Well, I just don't understand. And also what, I mean, as a 15 year old, I think I don't understand how she didn't cave sooner. The whole like, Oh yeah. Well, she is a psychopath. Like Joey King's character is just a psychopath. That's its own separate. It was just such a bizarre when you see your parents struggling as much as they were struggling. Like, no, I don't think she has any feelings towards it. Actually, to, to Matt's earlier point, I, my reaction was very similar where I was like, I ca- it's not the right phrase for it, but I was like, oh my God, it's a parent trap. We got, I got, I'm going to get them back together. That's, I, I was like, this is going to be a parent trap film. And then it sort of was. Uh, that wasn't the, but that, it, actually I would have had slightly more respect for it if that had been the end goal of it. But her end goal was just to cover for her friends. Yeah, supposedly. And, then and then I, but then she says, oh, and then I saw, and then you guys were getting along and blah, blah. So I didn't want to ruin it, but I don't want you to be mad at me and blah, blah. It's just like. And she really did give her all in that scene, but it was just. But it's, but it's also like, I know kids are dumb. I know this, right? And adults can be dumb too. A lot are. But you just try to put yourself again. Okay, yeah, she's psychopath, all this stuff. But you try to put yourself in that girl's head and you think of like double jeopardy stuff and this is the opposite kind of thing. You know full well this girl will come back. So at some point, you're going to be outed. Like, you didn't, and, and then, or, or the girl just randomly survived and just decided never to say anything about it and get mad at you for pushing her into the icy river. What did you think was going to happen? It's the next level of dumb. That's what I mean is like, it can be a movie where people are making dumb decisions and this and that. And, but what I can't forgive is just a dumb story. I just, that's what's really hard is that the overall story was, it just- Well, and when the story is dumb, there's no tension, right? And so this movie had to only have tension. Like the whole point of this movie was it should have been ramping up tension the whole time, but it's hard to ramp up tension when everyone is just making the dumbest decisions of all time. I thought, and not that we need more of this in in the film world, I thought that what we were gonna find out was that the dad, um, Peter Sarsgaard, I thought that he, what we saw happen and them going out to pee this and that, I thought that was something that was like, we're watching what the story that they're telling, but I thought the dad was going to have abused and then killed her and that the daughter was in shock. Like, I thought that's what they were going to do. I, I thought something, so I thought the dad was going to be involved and, or that it might not have even been abuse, right? He just like, maybe they were fighting, and he, but he was going to be the, and this, that's the trailer's fault. And yeah, and that they 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 put it together, you know, and they uh, she defended, but that's like what we saw, like similar how they showed us the shot of her laying dead there. It wasn't real. I thought that they we were gonna be like, oh, that's the fantasy of what happened, what what he's they're saying happened, but really, you know, this is what really happened. And I, I don't think that would have made it some strong film if that had happened at all. I still think I would have not like this movie, but I would have been less mean about it. I think if that was the case, because at least. That was an attempt to be creative. I thought that he was actually having a relationship with the friend, the dad. Right, that could be a thing. You know, because remember when she like compliments his band and then she mm-hmm. gets like, her friend gets weird about it. I thought that maybe he was having an affair with the girl and mm-hmm. then killed her. 
And I thought I thought that was way more. Or daughter or Joey King found out and, and killed and the girl because of it. Her, and that's why dad wanted to cover it up so much because he didn't. That's want what it. I thought. But then, yeah. of course, it didn't. We all thought this there was wasn't enough. Up. Yeah, there wasn't enough there to justify something even that motivated. Right. Like there was no, just sort of no. like, but they, they you're right. They were starting to set it up that we we might have just solved it for them. We, it wouldn't have solved it, but it would have been better than what they you know, and that's not to say any of our suggestions would have worked, but it it would have been. We all, but we were all sitting there like trying to craft what could have been a better story while watching. <laughs> well, or, or I thought I thought the plot line with her, the you know, supposedly dead girl's actual dad was going to result in he's been abusing her, and it wasn't a bad thing, you know, that he did actually hurt her, and so they were going to get away with it, and they were going to have to live with this lie for eternity. That would have been more interesting. That would have been so interesting because she needed to start fresh or something and get away. From totally, her. and. and and, you know, I will say in there, I'm not going to say defense, but I'm happy to be trying to think of a story that doesn't involve, you know, men raping women again. And, you know, it's like, it's always the trope and it's always this thing where it's like, why that's the women arc is that they have to have been sexually, sexually abused. And that's why they're doing anything they're doing. And it's something that is very real life. And that's not something we should gloss over, but we do see it a lot. And so it's something where it could be seen as refreshing to have a movie like this, where that's where I thought it was going. That's, oh, great. It didn't go there. But God, if it could have just gone somewhere good, or did it have it, just, to? it had to go somewhere, and that was the biggest thing that's missing, right? Exactly. Like we, I think that's what we were all. It was. It was written and directed by a woman too. I know yeah. that was disappointing, and so I think the sense I got from this is, technically speaking, it its initial releases in 2018. That means it had to have been filmed before, and I feel like you know it's part of this sort of Bloomhouse Halloween essentially anthology. They released a bunch of films on Amazon Prime, and it's supposed to be sort of spooky season. I feel like they just sort of gobbled up anything that had any sort of horror or whatever, and they're just going for quantity over quality. And that's not to say Bloomhouse doesn't do good scary, oh, but I feel like they were just like, well, let's just slide it in with these other ones. No, it's interesting you say that because yeah, clearly it was made long enough ago where it's like you were just waiting to release this. And it's something that almost maybe this became an opportunity to say, hey, you know, these like really, they think B-level, but I'm thinking C-level films <laughs> have that we just haven't wanted to slate with theatrical releases yet because we don't think they're very good. What if we just do it with this big thing where it's like yep. they're doing the release they're doing? I know you guys didn't watch it. I did watch Black Box. The other one they released at the same, the same date, whatever. Mm -hmm. and I think it was slightly better, but also not great. So it's something, I mean, not it's more than slightly better because it wasn't as annoying as this was. But <laughs> and that's a low was, bar though, so. I just mean it wasn't something that I was like, wow, I really wish I could have seen that in theaters at all. Yeah. And I wonder if, had they been able to foresee and they knew that this was going to be happening this year, I wonder if they would have put Fantasy Island on, on this list. Ooh. Ooh. Because, um, maybe. You know, while I found myself a little mildly entertained by certain things in that film, I wouldn't venture to say it's a good one. I feel like this is one that they didn't have a super heavy hand in producing. I think Jason Bloom has actually literally talked about the quantity over quality scenario before in terms of his approach stuff. Uh, you know, one of the biggest giveaway for me that this was produced early and not not this year or anytime recently is the the guy who plays the friend's dad is an actor named Cass Anvar. And I was like, oh, that guy looks familiar. Why do I know his face? And I guess he was on The Expanse. And this year he was accused of sexual abuse. I was gonna say, I, I, he looked familiar to me too. And I, I've seen The Expanse, so okay, I didn't. Hmm. And I mean, unfortunately, I thought he was probably one of the better actors in this. Yeah. And he was investigated. I don't know what the results of it were, but Interesting. I tend to believe victims. So <laughs> I, I was just like, oh, this definitely did not get filmed this year or in the last year or so. Um, definitely not this year, at least. Yeah. 
they would have they would have tried to bury it more probably talking about the ending like obviously I, I think we agree this was the original idea but if the original idea was what you were saying about the dad having been you know her dad having been uh I, that's the kind of ending you could see them changing <laughs> In my obligations, you know. Didn't, I didn't even think it necessarily had to be. I didn't think they implied sexual abuse. You know, they could oh, totally. physically abused her, right? Which is still awful, but I, I think it's still a, a trope in the... Um, okay, so uh, as per usual, resounding recommendations for the lie. Everyone should run out. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'll say it again. Like I said about Glor- the Glorias and stuff, it's, you know, I mean, if you've got Amazon Prime, it's on there. So I'm not going to say don't watch it if you feel like doing it. Oh, I'm going to say don't watch it. I'm going to say and- save your... That's an hour and a half of your life you don't get back. Totally, but it, at least you're not going out and spending a bunch of money to go see this or making an event out of it. It's like if you decide you want to watch it, I'm not gonna say don't, but I'm gonna tell you it sucks. Like, <laughs> you know you're what I mean? You know, no, you're not gonna enjoy yourself. <laughs> Drinks and stuff. Maybe maybe it's more enjoyable. I don't know. I was trying to I watch. No, I don't think so. I think I would just be more annoyed, but <laughs> I'd be actually yelling at the TV. Yeah, I'd be I'd be inclined to fast forward or just be like, I'm just turning this off. I think I would have had even less patience yeah, for probably. it. The other thing we watched this week is, I think, hopefully a little bit better, is Deaf You. I didn't finish it yet. I have thoughts. I will say, for me, I don't know if this just comes from, I have a reality TV background with work. I, it, it really, 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 at least at the start, feels very, very overly produced to me to the point that I actually think it'd be better as a scripted series because of the hot points that it felt like they were just, let's make sure we hit all these right away. As it goes on, it definitely gets its footing more. And that could, that you could say that's a common problem with most reality shows. But it, with a show like this that, that is hitting on hot points that are kind of like, let's show the different kinds of um, ways that, you know, being that it surrounds all around people in the deaf community, how these differently able people live their lives and how I worked on a show called Born This Way that was focused around people with, with intellectual disabilities that were all young adults. And it was more, much more family friendly than this. But it was a docu-fall and it's like the same kind of thing where we were trying to show these differently able people and kind of show, hey, look, they're actually just like you, but also while showing, hey, look at these things. You see that scene, I think it's in the first, second episode, the girls are at lunch and the waiter puts the water like right in front of them and they say, oh, they yeah. the water in that's not differently because they don't think about the fact that you need to see each other's hands to understand what we're saying here. Things like that felt to me very kind of like producer being like okay let's do this and let's have them say this so that we can point that out you know what i'm saying so there's certain things in yeah that felt a little heavy-handed in that way I, f- I feel like being one step removed from that and you know watching a lot of consuming a lot of television coming from not as active like live production but just having that background i i agree with you i think you could very heavily feel producers hands in it I think maybe from a viewer perspective, I just felt going into it, I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't the same as some of the other docu-follows on Netflix, right? This isn't uh, Cheer or Last Chance You or something, you know, something along those lines. Um, <laughs> well, no, to me, I was like, oh, this is basically The Hills with talking heads in it. They're going to very much curate the storylines. But to me, I was like, oh, the storylines are pretty much the same type of interpersonal ridiculousness that I like in reality shows. You know, I think the interpersonal chaos of these this group of college students was the like most appealing part to me where I was like oh damn like the end of episode one where there was like that reveal I was like oh damn like that's not something you see actually normally on I'm just gonna spoiler alert it um or spoiler you know they talk somebody talks about having an abortion and did this other person get them pregnant intentionally I was like you don't get to see that on quote normal and normal might just apply to broadcast not Netflix reality shows like they Mm -hmm. don't confront issues like that that felt like some newer territory and I and I will say, I, I love the representation of it. And I love all of that part of it too. And as someone, you know, this is going to sound like completely hypocritical because 
I'm someone who's watched every season of Vanderpump Rules, right? But when I'm watching something like this, the thing that kept going through my head too is how much I'm reminded of like, oh, I just do not connect with this age group of people. And, and I'm not saying I wasn't dumb and this and that and all these things, not that they're dumb, but when I was that age, but the issues and the things they're talking about, I was so just kind of like, oh, this is annoying that this is the drama, but that is real for that age group of people. And I do, you know, I liked that aspect of it. I almost wish it could lead into the messiness more, which would make it kind of more the way I feel about like, or have felt about previous seasons of A Vanderpump Rules or a show like that, that is focused on this, the, 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 those, it's a little older age group, but mentally they seem younger. No, they seem, they're children, they're less mature than they but seem. I, but it's a thing where you almost want it to just lean into the messiness more so that it's more just interesting story rather than just. I wanted them to lean more into the deaf culture stuff, if I'm really honest. Like I, I found that stuff really fascinating, like this idea of the elites mm-hmm. and this like gatekeeping that they did. If you're not fully deaf, if you're using ASL, those kind of things. Like I wanted to sort of lean more into that. I do understand, of course, that it's important to you know, the representation part of it, of being like, we're normal and this is normal and all that stuff. But I kind of thought that that stuff was like really more interesting to me, but it's also part of, because I'm a little bit older and I no longer care about who's sleeping with who and find that whole thing messy and annoying that I kind of wanted to lean into that stuff a little bit more. That's so interesting. We had very different, cause I, you know, I, I think, yeah, they could have leaned into certain aspects of it more for sure. But I, I did feel that so much of it was heavy handed in the way that I was looking more for the juicy kind of real housewives of it all in a way, in a weird way. And so it's interesting that we kind of look at that. I'll, I'll, I love it. We have two ends of the spectrum. I'll, I will play the middle person here. And I, I think basically it didn't choose a path. It wasn't good at transitioning between the, hey, here's the very kind of setup. You know, these two people are going to have a dramatic talk about their interpersonal relationship. And then it cut to somebody explaining something about elites. It tried to tie that back to like the conversations that were happening or the next that would happen but I'm like this is a very thin thread that they are using to kind of bring us back into these I guess maybe it's because of my background so I for listeners I use a wheelchair so and I actually competed in disabled sport for a long time when I was a teenager especially and so I knew a decent amount of folks in the deaf community and knew about these things like the elites and the segregation that happens actually within their own communities. There's a population of deaf who do not consider themselves disabled. They do not like the label disabled. They do not go to you know, the Paralympics. They do not compete in disabled sport. They prefer to put on their own events. So they prefer to put on their own swim meets, their own you know, track meets, everything. They, you know, Deaf World Games, for example. And the people who compete in both are actually looked down on. Um, and have a lot of trouble like getting sponsorships and having the same level of like support as the people who stay within the community, you know, more succinctly. And so for me, because I was sort of on the outskirts of that, like as a teenager and not willing to ask too many questions because I didn't want to be rude and didn't want to be invasive, I thought that was very interesting, you know, that they didn't consider themselves disabled, that they have their own, you know, culture that they're trying to protect in a lot of situations. And that's part of the reason why that university even exists is because it's trying to protect deaf culture and these communities that are just deaf. And so I wanted to lean into that because I find it fascinating that they have sort of built a community, you know, based on their own needs instead of trying to assimilate into 
our culture or the broader culture, right? Yeah. So. And I have and I have a bit of a history with that in different ways as well. From um, I took ASL in college for a couple of years and learned in a lot of the ASL class, and it's taught by a teacher in the deaf community who is completely deaf. And she, a lot of the class was also about learning about deaf culture. It wasn't just learning ASL; it was learning deaf culture. And I found that very fascinating as well. Was just kind of you you hear about this happens in all kinds of group. I think in every group of people, you find this kind of thing, but where you kind of get the different kind of classes, you know, of it, where it's people are frowned upon if you're not this or that. And I think that it is fascinating to learn about that stuff. And we were actually doing uh, at my old company, we were doing another show by the same producers of the Born This Way show I mentioned that was focusing around deaf families. And it was interesting because certain of the families would be mom and dad are deaf and one child is deaf and another child actually can hear. But the child that can hear kind of, I don't want to say the word feels shame, but because I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to, I don't know, it might not be the right word, but is not allowed to talk at home. And it actually affects the child at school because the child has this thing where, you know, they are differently able than their parents and their sibling. And how are they supposed to navigate in the real world where they feel, so they actually, while in classes and things like that for, for students who can hear, uh, the child wouldn't be talking and the teachers were concerned that, well, the child, you know, is not developing language, this and that. And parents are like, well, that's not a problem because it's ASL, ASL. And then there's the argument where it's like, well, if, if the child can hear, then why can't they just talk? Like, and, but it, it all comes back to that cultural pride, like you were saying, and it's, and it really is. And that with the comment you made, that's why I was using the words differently able, the comment you made about they, uh, many of, in the community do not want to be labeled with a disability. It's a different ability that they have. And I, I find that very interesting as well, because it's an interesting way to look at it because, you know, Jackie, I think we've talked about this a lot, even with you, but something where that almost to me, as someone who is not part of the community, it almost rubs me in a way that makes it feel like you think you're you're buying into the fact that disabled has a negative connotation to it. And it almost kind of, for me, continues to support that because you don't, it's a label that you don't want. And I get that people do put a negative connotation with it, but it almost is like you then buy into it or like, yeah, that's a negative thing. I don't want to be part of it. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think that like I was flabbergasted, you know, as a teenager when I heard about this the first time, you know, about, you know, my friend um, who was on the Paralympic swim team with me and was deaf and was basically sort of ostracized by a bunch of her friends at her deaf school for choosing to participate in the Paralympics over the deaf world games. And I just remember thinking how awful it was to make her seem lesser or that people who needed mobility aids or mobility things like hearing aids, things like that were thought of as less than because they weren't just fully embracing this different culture and allowing themselves to only have that culture, right? Because my friend who was deaf, her whole point was, is that there was a whole world out there that she wanted to be a part of. And even if it was a little bit harder for her to be a part of this other world, right? That she didn't want to only be so um, insulated or insular, you know, with this one group because it, it felt very restraining to her. Whereas the way she explained it to me, for them, it felt freeing because they could be anyone they wanted to be and they didn't have to work as hard, right? Because it is as someone who has a disability in America, it is complicated, okay? It is difficult. I can't necessarily go to every shop, right? They have stairs, even though they're not supposed to. They have bathrooms that aren't accessible, you know, and it compounds, you know, when you're deaf and you have to 
be constantly saying, I can't hear that. I can't do that. You know, showing your phone, uh, being looked at funny. And so I, I do understand the like sort of want to um, just stay within your own community. But I also think that it's hard to embrace. Oh, I am different and people look at me differently. It's hard to embrace that and see that with pride a lot of the times. I think for people, so it, it's something where when you surround yourself with like similar people that are similarly able to do to you, it, it enables you to not have to feel like an outsider. You don't have to be defensive, basically, right? Exactly. Like you are, you, you are similar, you have a commonality, like you don't have to right. constantly have to explain yourself. Yeah. Understands your life in a similar way, to the, you know, because they've been through similar things in regard to how Right. Matt and I have talked about this in length and I'm not sure if I've talked to, to Dana about a lot of this, but I, you know, as a person have a very difficult time even labeling myself disabled, right? Because I've spent so much of my life trying to <laughs> overcome it because that's what I've been told to do by media, right? Um, I'm supposed to be inspirational and I'm supposed to overcome my disability and it's not supposed to matter, you know, uh, when it really does affect and bleed into many areas of my life. And um, there's been a movement that's not that recent, but it's fairly recent to me, you know, with disability pride and taking pride in who you are and the struggles that you have and, and really um, in the community there. So I don't think that they're off on the want to create community and to create safe spaces for themselves. But as part of the sort of broader disabled community, it does feel a little shitty, you know, that they don't want to join us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that they are somehow superior to us, right? And they get their own games and they don't want to uh, associate, right? I have to imagine it, it kind of feels a bit like, oh, another community of people not wanting something to do with me or telling me that I'm not. Or in some, I don't want to say the word better, but they, they're sending a message of like, we don't want to, we don't want to play with you. You know, we, and the world is not designed to play with you either. So like, you know. Right, it's just another rejection almost in a way. Right. You know? And so it's kind of interesting because, you know, as a disabled community as a whole, we all go through, we have similar bar barriers, right? Everyone has their own barriers. Like mine are mostly physical, right? Because I physically can't walk or stand, so I need accommodations in that way. They can't speak, you know, not everyone, but a percentage of them can't speak or can't speak the language, you know, that is common, but that's still barriers in a similar way, right? So we should be able to come together sort of in this commonality of needing, not assistance, but needing the broader world to understand what accessibility really means. The ADA was a wonderful step, right? But it w was just a step and it needs help and we can do so much better you know um it's one of those things where it's like it, it, there's so many times when there are two steps for no apparent reason yeah. except for aesthetics right but it bars me from being able to to go there right and if we thought of accessibility first if we thought hey how can everyone get in this building and we built buildings like that right right we would have less of this problem you know, and similarly to with deaf culture or deafness, right? If we always had signage, if we always, you know, had subtitles. If closed captioning was mandatory, you know, for, for movies and things like that, it, if, we, if that was normal, right, we wouldn't think anything of it. Like if everything always came that way, you wouldn't think twice.
I, yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I think I plead ignorance here. I just wandered about the world not aware of accessibility issues, right? And then Jackie, having you as a friend in my life, like I appreciate that you opened my eyes to that. But I think most of it admittedly came from just being near you, navigating parts of the world with you and being like, oh, sh like shit, I didn't realize every time I see a step now that doesn't have a ramp or doesn't have, I'm like, fuck it, like that's not accessible. That's a problem. <laughs> I work at a company where all our stuff is about going outside and adventuring and people always say the word walk. I was like, people don't, not everyone walks. Why are we not considering mobility? Not just, you know, I don't even use the word disability in these scenarios, but I'm like, uh, people bike, people do whatever. Why are we defaulting to one thing? And I think part of the hopefully good thing thing out of death you is it is bringing awareness right like the as as absolutely rehearsed as it felt the whole thing about the water glass in front of them and not being able to see it was like oh my god i never would have thought about that yeah, yeah, you like about it. Just, uh, yeah. what, you know and so well, i think i think I think the, the disconnect here, and this is where, you know, I'll agree with Matt too, is I feel like the producers were like me and wanted them to lean into this elite thing and talk about the disability all the time, right? But because these people were in this culture where they're only hanging out with other people who are deaf for the most part, right? They weren't focused on that, right? And so I think that they had to take them these questions, right? And so they kept having to lead them back to this road sure. because they wanted like I did, you know, they want to see a glimpse into this other place when in reality they're just living their lives. And right. because they're in this safe culture in the safe place, right. They don't talk about it much. Right. And, and I think you'll find that as episodes go on, it's hard to say what, you know, cause also these are also very short episodes and it kind of, as somebody watched on one sitting, it kind of watches as, as one just movie in a way. Like, I'm I th sure. yeah, I felt like I wasn't sure why they split it up so aggressively. I don't know why you would split it up in 19 it, issues. I really think it 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 just, they would have benefited from making these episodes longer, at least more longer, and just kind of fleshing out more things. Because there are a decent amount of characters, several of which that I feel like we don't really get to know much, and it feels very kind of like producers just had this idea, let's do this thing. And then whether Netflix picked it up right away or someone else was involved, it was very like, okay, yeah, we'll pick it, we'll pick you up for this many. Cause they, cause that's what networks do. They pick you up for an episode order and they fund each episode based on the times, a time, you know, how much. And so then the production company has to figure out how to make the story they want to make fit in the amount of episodes for the allotted times. So it's a thing where I think that they had, they probably have a lot of footage they filmed and they probably have things that it could have been something more fleshed out. But I wonder if the studio, even Netflix, as much as they do take chances, I wonder if they felt it was too risky to go ahead and give them the full kind of what a real series order would be. Because it's interesting that we have something with differently abled people airing and it's so much less budget-wise, you can tell, versus something like Selling Sunset or something else. So my thought on that, though, is maybe I'm wrong, and I probably have to look into this, but like, what if this was made for, like, Quibi? Mm. You know, and, and admittedly, Vert, it's not, it's clearly produced sure. in, like, a horizontal format, but I, I get the sense. No, you're, you're, it's absolutely, maybe it, maybe it was. But, so not for, not necessarily for Quibi itself, but what if, they, I, I don't know if they made it with um, Netflix in mind necessarily as the as the producer right i think they were like maybe maybe it has to be a web series maybe it has to be whatever and so they tried to make it more mm -hmm. marketable potentially and the defu was produced by hot snakes media for hot executive producers in july 2020 netflix ordered the documentary series i'm not sure what that means in this scenario i mean if it was july 2020 that would tell me that they must have bought it but like it was being produced and netflix optioned it but i because if they ordered it we would have had that would have had to have been filmed in the middle. something where they 
had, hey, let's make this. And yeah, you know, so well, they would have also had to make it in the middle of quarantine, right? And it might have been something that was funded again by someone else with much smaller budget than Netflix usually has. And Netflix found it intriguing and decided to, to buy the distribution rights, you know, just depending on how, we don't know how it happened, I guess, but it, it felt like it could have been more. And they do, I do feel they do expand even more because certain, as we learn certain uh, of the characters in the show or the people in the show, are differently le- different levels of that differently abled when it comes to elite that kind of thing and some and people are called out for oh you use your mouth you use your mouth too much and you're trying to cater too much i to- did see that i saw that episode yeah like that. so that kind of stuff does become more still but i but yeah they could there could have been something with that but i think that's why my mind kept going to like oh it would have been cool to have like a, a scripted thing or something where it maybe would have been able to like hit those hot points, but in a more authentic way. Because sometimes when you're doing a reality thing and you have a hot point you want to hit, it doesn't come off as very authentic because if it wasn't that person who's not an actor's mind, then it's like, it's going to seem very, hmm. Wait, Matt, you might have to explain hot points to civilians. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I just mean like, yeah, I, mean, I don't even know if that's the right term to even use, but just like a point that like you want to get this across. You have an agenda to say, I want to make sure that it is explained on camera to our audience that how putting a bottle in the middle of the table of two people who are deaf is not deaf friendly because they can't see each other's hands or obstructing their view. So that I'm calling that a hot point. I don't know actually what you might want to call it, but a beat that you want to put in there, something that you, you know, you want to get that message across. And so you decide you want to get that across with people who are not hired, not trained actors, people who are real people. Uh, it can come across not very authentic, but I got through it very easily. I hope that more comes because like, I think what's most important here is the representation. And I think that a lot of first season reality shows, some of them are great. Some of them do struggle with, you know, it's really, people don't think about how hard it is to suddenly have to just be yourself with a camera in your face and how different that is from just being yourself without a camera in your face. And I think, you know, it's you got to you got to look at it and say okay people need to kind of find their footing and get kind of into it and I do think that pretty much everyone on the show collectively does but again we didn't get that much time with them so it just felt like it could have been more another one that comes to mind um, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this one but as someone who loves a Real Housewives show I also got really into Little Women LA and then it also kind of went into Little Women New York Little Women all these other cities and they kind of did the housewives thing but it was just a full-on group of little women. I would say more housewives aged, some younger, but kind of going all the way from like mid-20s all the way to the 40s maybe. Like that show, as much as, again, it's just messy like a housewife show, but it does take the time to really point out all these different things and show the different disparages that they have with each other and stuff within that culture and really kind of brings up, hey, look, these are people just like you. They're, they have different bodies than you do. Like everyone has a different body here, but you know, they, they go through different struggles than you might because of their size. And that's where I, I mean, it, it doesn't take a genius to know it, but that's actually where I officially learned that the M word is derogatory. Uh, and, and that that's not something you should ever refer to them to. And that it's, it's little people. That is their, that is the preferred term. And so not to go too much of a sidebar here, but I found that these shows that do kind of go and try to open our eyes to a different culture in this way, they need to exist and they need to continue to flourish and kind of like they need to be seen. I think it tried, right? I think it tried and I think it tried to be, you know, educational for lack of a better word about the deaf culture and the deaf communities. 
but it also was trying very hard to be sort of a more traditional reality show. And that doesn't mean it succeeded on either front. I think that actually probably was one of the bigger failings is that it's just straddling these two things. But I still, I still found it, you know, very watchable and I'm going to finish it. And, and I think the other interesting thing for me is, you know, I've been in kind of a funk this whole uh, quarantine where I've been struggling to pay attention with anything with subtitles. And you know, a lot of the show is subtitled for like a hearing audience. I was like, oh, well, this is a funny reverse scenario, but I found myself paying attention to it in a good way. Like it was holding my attention. Whereas there've been some foreign films where I'm like, oh, I just, I don't have the like, honestly, emotional bandwidth right now. Right. Cause I just like I'm so tired and, and stressed out by everything. I'm like, I just don't want to watch this right now. Cause I don't feel like I'll pay attention. And I know, I know I will struggle. And it's, I have no problem with subtitles. I love foreign films, et cetera. But, but this, I was like, oh, I was able to actually pay attention to this, which I but think is- In quarantine, working from home, learning a new way of life, really. I mean, that's what- yeah. But learning a new way of life and having exhausting days doing that and never really moving from one area to another area to then say, hey, now I'm not working. Now I'm going to go and decompress and watch something. Whereas as film people, TV people, we use that to decompress from our day to do whatever we like watching. And I'm like all in, I love a put your phone away. I'm going to watch all of this, but it has been different in quarantine because yeah. the days all just kind of blend together in a weird way. And it's, it's just kind of, you don't, the boundaries are different. And so it's hard. Similarly, I've been have I've been struggling for me. It's been very difficult to watch things that are not light. I don't want to watch depressing things right now. I, you know, and I honestly, a kill yourself sad movie was my favorite genre of film for a long time. So for me, it's been very interesting experience not wanting to watch anything too emotional. I've been rewatching rom-coms and, you know. Look, we all sat through Emily in Paris. Like, <laughs> I think there's a reason. You know, and, and those are the kind of things that I've been watching. And I think, you know, we'd, we haven't really talked about it, but. I think that's possibly why the reason why I didn't, I wasn't obsessed with the boys in the way that I should have been. Like, it's one of those shows that hits all those marks that I should really like. And I didn't. And I think it's because, you know, season one or whatever, but because of quarantine, like, I feel like things hit differently and I'm just not in a space where I want to watch real. Yeah. that's interesting. Cause I'm very similar where the, the kill yourself sad is, is uh, I love it. And I find myself gravitating to those, almost more now than I usually do because I'm the kind of person who when I watch those I'm like oh yeah like I like seeing someone else's problems because <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like oh what was me because this and that and you know sitting in my little self-pity bubble about whatever I feel at the moment and it's nice to go on and like watch Nicole Kim and cry instead or you know what I mean? <laughs> you know like <laughs> and, and it's weird but that's that's kind of been my but I but again I, I love the the light heart as well too so it's it's a very big it's very all. I'm, you, I, I wake up in the day and I there's no telling what I'm going to feel like watching that day. It's very all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're all kind of coping with our you know various situations in various ways, and our watching habits are being impacted by it. So I will say to your point of paying attention to it, though, something else that I did really appreciate about it, there are I will say I, I do think there's some weird music choices in it and music cues when they decide to put music on and when not, but. I also appreciate the quiet moments in it, like how quiet they're letting a lot of it be. Because working reality TV, it's like you hear, it's like you hear just the standard music cues here and there, and there's always this and that, and let's keep it. It has a very specific vibe that is very specific to reality television that this kind of is doing some of, but it's not doing it nearly to the extent that it would in a normal reality show. And so I was finding that interesting. And one of the things I liked, I think it was in an early episode, the one, the one, one of the guys was saying uh, they go to a nightclub, and one of the guys was saying how 
he feels the music, like he doesn't, he can't hear the words. And it always reminds me, I don't know if you guys have seen the film Babel. I, I was just going to bring that up. I was like the scene when she's in the nightclub in Babel. And know, I was like, I, I, I like Babel as a film, but I will say I don't watch it over and over and over that often, but I will never forget. It was, uh, it was I think it was with you, Jackie, but in San Jose watching that movie for the first time at Cinar and And I, I remember loving the scene when she goes to the nightclub because the bass, the bass, the mixing, the way it was high, like my seat was vibrating mm-hmm. to the beat of the music. And I, and it just kind of, I don't know if that's what it's like, but it was just kind of this thing where I, it made me think, which I think was the intention. Wow. I wonder if this is what it's like to, to be deaf at a nightclub, feeling that kind of bass in your foot, whatever. And I just thought that was really cool the way they did it. And so hearing it mentioned here, it made me think about it immediately. And I was, I like, was oh. that's the only thing I remember for that film, but it's still a, a very, it's like a very visceral memory for me because I, you know, I can't, I think I saw it in New York, but I was like, also my theater, you know, seat was shaking and. Really a powerful scene then because I, that, I remember it so well. And that's my yeah. Name, name yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I, and I also really liked them, him like stealing the cochlear implant from the guy and like, because I feel like whenever my friends who use wheelchairs also get together, we're always stealing each other's wheels and doing all kinds of stupid shit like that. And so it was always, and able-bodied folks would always look at us like, oh my God, you monsters. Yeah. What are you doing? And just a shocked expressions and, and all of that. that fragile person's, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and, yeah. and obviously, you know, uh, we don't see each other like that, right? So it's, I liked that because it reminded me. I mean, we used to, I mean, we'd like, literally like sneak up on folks and steal their wheel and then go hide it. And then they would be stuck wherever they were for a while, you know, and it was like, <laughs> terrible but you know kids stuff you know yeah, it's like it's, it's i mean it's, it's like it's a dumb teenage prank right or like right. a young adult prank and that's yeah but i mean i just remember all the able-bodied folks would always just look at us in horror about the things we had done and so i, I enjoy that part of it and i like seeing them and also i think it was really important to show that you know they like to do the same st- stuff we like to do it's just different you know i had a friend who was blind who loved movies i would go all the time because her life was dialogue right and so for her maybe she was missing things from the film right and there's some that do have like audio descriptions but not very often but her life was dialogue so she didn't mind missing the context of the action she still got something from it and she would never necessarily be realizing that it wasn't what maybe the length that you were getting from it here or there but she might have been getting more from guarantee you she heard more of the dialogue than we do because like I, i'll watch movies and be like oh i missed that line but like when all you're doing is listening you know you might get more from it in that way you might pay more attention to the score and the sounds and this and that than we really do. i mean that's the way she experiences the world anyway right so for her it wasn't different or weird or strange to go to the movies but it's it's one of those things where you don't think deaf kids go to clubs together right like that's not something i would have assumed and you wouldn't think that blind people like to go to the movies together yeah, that's like I was I was gonna say like you watch me like the village like in my Shyamalan which I know I know you love it Jackie I love it you love it Janet you hate it I've, okay. I've never seen it okay oh yeah that's I, I know that I know the premise yeah. of it I know that I know the spoiler but yeah I forgot it, it was very marketed horror even though it's not as horror but it's I it's also just movie. don't like M Night Shyamalan like but in that film the main character is blind even though it's Bryce Dallas Howard and she's not seeing yeah but he but the character is blind and I remember when I worked at the theater at the time that it came out and I had to build the print together. And M. Night Shyamalan had included from in the studio, whatever, included a letter in there that was very much about 
the importance of making sure that the sound mixing on with, with our projector and stuff and the sounds were at certain levels, this and that, because the sounds in the film play a huge part. Mm. And it's because there are so many cracks in the forest and this and that and things and the trees and the leaves moving around that he wanted to play up because he wanted us to hear it the way that Bryce Ellis Howard's character would be is hearing the world. There is that kind of thing where a lot of people say that your other senses get heightened when one of them is taken away. And whether that is true or not, and it's more like you just pay more attention to it, or I don't know what it is. It's a very daredevil thing as well. But it's a thing where I think that was interesting. And it reminded me of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, you could you could be blind and go watch a movie and just enjoy hearing it. You know, it's just a different experience. Yeah, unless that movie's The Lie, in which case... In which case, <laughs> Sorry, I was, I, that's a terrible word. I'm like, oh, in which case the dialogue is terrible and we should spare everybody from it. I was okay, seeing, not seeing, hearing, not hearing it. I'm not sure that you should watch The Lie. Yeah, I feel like it, like... <laughs> much like any great dialogue and great acting and stuff will come across either way, right? In fact, yeah. that should be, a, that's a, a potential litmus test. Is this story being told in a way that is conveying it with, if you had one sense, you know, not participating. My sister um, had to do that for animation school. I, uh, Dana, you might've had to do something like this too. I know you studied animation for some time. It's like, she, I remember had to watch a film that she had to watch without any sound and had to just watch it and kind of visually and, and to focus on the movements of the people and this and kind of thing. It was like a weird assignment. She asked me, what should I watch? And I was like, well, one of my faves, I, House of Flying Daggers, I love it. And I mm -hmm. had her watch that and I turned off the subtitles as well. And I was like curious and she had never seen it and she got a lot of what was going on and really just was like, I mean, you, you see what's going on, but she understood a lot. And she actually, I remember said, that she's like, yeah, it seems like it's like a Robin Hood story. And I was like, it's a Robin Hood story. <laughs> but, um, but it's just interesting because it's like you take that away. And I had seen it a million times. So I'm like sitting here being like, well, it's hard. I don't know how that would be because I watched it, hearing it and reading it <laughs> the first time. So I had sort of an opposite sensory um, experience in my freshman year in college. They um, they split us up and, and one semester you would take a visual class and one semester you'd take a sound class, like, and then you'd switch halfway through. And so my very first, you know, welcome to film school, your core class this semester is sound image. And I was like, what? I don't, and then, you know, my, my teacher would be like, oh, sound is 51% of every film. This is probably not a great segue after talking about deaf you, but, uh, you know, for, for hearing folks, you know, sound is 51%. I was like, what is she talking about? Okay. But like, I still to this day agree with her actually having gone through that class. And I think one of the examples that weirdly demonstrated it for me is they had us watch an episode of Buffy and they had us watch it without the sound. And again, we, I, I, don't know how extensively I talked about it in here, but I talk about constantly. I'm a huge scaredy cat. I don't like scary movies. I don't like any of that stuff. And they had us watch this episode. I can't remember what it was, but I think it was a well-known episode of Buffy. And like, you know, there were spooky monsters and they were just kind of moving around and it was scary and, you know, a little uncomfortable, but I was like, okay, whatever. And then they played it again with the sound. And I was like, I hate this. I hate this so much. I don't like this at all. I don't, oh my God, freaking out. I hate this so much. So I- yes. Music cues are everything in horror because that's what makes you jump more than a lot of things at the time because if they, they if you hit that music just right, anything could make you jump. I mean, Jaws, <laughs> let's talk about how that soundtrack, soundtrack again. legitimately yeah. made a villain. Right, yeah. And the giant- Pepper mache shark or whatever he's made out of. Scary with that. Too much for me, but yeah. Yeah. I hear that music and I can't even function. So I vote. I vote. Watch that view. I think it was. I agree. I think it's imperfect, but I think it's. I I appreciate the representation. I easy to watch too. Like we were talking about. Like I stopped only because I wasn't sure if everyone else was going to watch more, and so I didn't. And I'm really bad at knowing when things happen. And timelines in my head always get screwed up. So. I try not to watch more than 
we agree to just because I'm going to spoil something that we didn't. I think the the funny thing is it's also like a weird uh, it's entry point for reality shows, right? Because I think the topic is so unique or the 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 sort of framing of it is so unique and yet it's still at the at score also a reality show. <laughs> Yeah, I hope they can spawn more things that, you know, are bringing more awareness to stuff like this. That's yeah, I think I I think it is such a fine line and and tightrope in terms of you don't want to be exploitative and you don't want to you want to actually have like universal stories, too. Well, I mean, it's like my thing, right? Like I would just be so thrilled, thrilled to have a movie with a character who is in a wheelchair where we just don't explain. No explanation. They just happen to be using a wheelchair and, and, and going about life. And there's no tragic backstory. There is no overcoming obstacles. This person is just a person who exists in the world. Yeah, and I think sadly there are so many subsets of groups who feel the same way, right? Like I think anytime I see a gay character on screen or a queer character on screen, I'm like, is this gonna be about their queerness? Mm-hmm. Or are they just gonna be a character? And 80% of the times these days, it's like, it's about their queerness. Their storyline is about their queerness. Or half the time when we have a prominent black actress or actor, and it's like, that's what I, I kind of made the comment about Annabellum, but it's just like, do we have to keep seeing them as slaves? Or do we have to keep seeing this and that? Or it's like, what if it's a person and and they are just a person? And, <laughs> you know, that yes. happens. So it, there is that as well. And I hope Re- Representation matters. I think what we're all saying that's is representation matters. Representation matters. matters <laughs> the, more, the more you have of it, the more all corners of that representation are accepted totally fine because you know there's a lot of instances where you get one one form of it and then that has to represent everyone in that community because it's all they have and it's like no we need more i was gonna say i think that goes back to what jackie was saying about you know disability in the deaf community not necessarily considering themselves part of that but i think maybe people who aren't involved doing that and it's like well no it's you know there are multiple there are multi-facets of these things well, and I would argue that some of the reason why we create even these like levels within our own communities is because of the representation we're seeing and the like the good disabled folk do. And be like, I don't identify with that, so that's not me. And then you kind of separate them. Right. Mm-hmm. And media is important. Sense. I find media very powerful. So of course it is. Oh yeah, I mean it's the vehicle with which we reach everyone these days, right? And especially because it's in the palm of your hands. Anyway, able to see different, different, different things. Yes. Uh, well, thank you both. This has been quite the quite the discussion. A lot of people largely agree, which is great. Yeah, yeah I know. Once, once again, unfortunately, it's because one of the things we watched was so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Our biggest source of contention was Doctor Strange. It wasn't contention per se. Oh, I know. I, you know, I, I will give it a rewatch. I'll give it a rewatch. If there had to be a source of disagreement, that was it. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, thanks All for right. having me. Yeah.